A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Gulai Serhatkulu, who is the Senior Vice President of Performance Materials North America at BASF. The business that she leads includes plastics and materials that go into transportation, construction, industrial applications, and consumer good markets. Gulai holds a PhD in polymer science and chemical engineering, which is impressive. And she is really active in innovation and sustainability and, and leadership, obviously, across BASF's business. Gulai, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you very much for having me, Victoria. Looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. So what is your origin story? How did you get interested in polymers? And then how did you get interested in BASF? It is simple polymers. I was in chemical engineering as a university as a bachelor um, degree. And then I found the polymer world very fascinating. So I started focusing on getting into polymers in my M master's degree, in, in, again, in chemical engineering. Then I decided to apply for a fellowship for doing my PhD, which uh, I chose going into biodegradable plastics, believe it or not. Again, that's my journey also with sustainability pretty much has started. I still think that maybe even after the PhD and two postdocs on top, maybe I know a little bit about polymers and plastics. And <laughs> to be frank, it's a wide and large area and lots to learn. The more you know, you realize that you know very little. And yeah, so I came to U.S. for my Ph.D. and stay in the polymer uh, field pretty long time, I have to say. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And you've spent, if I'm right, the majority of your BASF career has been more in a commercial role versus technical, right? So obviously you've got all this technical experience in your background, and yet you've stayed very commercially oriented. I started in from the technical services, exactly in the time of plastic polyurethane group. In the technical service group, we, we had a smaller organization in North America region. We also do a lot of chemical modifications to make sure the products run well in our customers' equipment. And so it also involved a lot of the development projects with the customers, but main main focus was solving the, the issues in the customers' equipments with the products, doing new trials with the new materials, sometimes for new applications. And it was a lot of fun. I have done it for two years. And then from there, I have been moved to different locations, more in the business side. But in each, I think, side, you learn different things. I moved to product management, learn more about profitability, and I moved more to marketing, learn more about strategy, M&A processes, how to make your R&D portfolio suitable to live your strategy. 
And then from there, yeah, moved also procurement being on the other side of the table, which was quite fun in Europe. And uh, now I'm, I'm running the most fun and exciting businesses in BAS, which is performance materials, which has two parts. One is the engineering plastics and the other part is urethanes and urethane chemistries. So what makes it fun and exciting? Variety of applications that we have and variety of products. It's really a business that is super customer focused. A lot of innovation comes from our business globally, not only from the North America region, but really customized um, solutions for our partners is what we are skilled at, what we are good at. And that makes it very exciting. Number one, working with very close proximity with our partners. And number two, being able to deliver what they need uh, for the next generation of products, applications, and recognized by them as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And in fact, and I've seen that. So I see, certainly, I think when we look at press releases and other things, but you can see that a lot of BASF's work and innovation comes with your partners, right? So they're done through customers and through partnerships. What's important about that for you when you think about kind of just that innovation through partnership? What's important about that? I think when it comes to challenges, whether it is, let's say, sustainability, new materials, I think that we in the value chain, everybody knows their part super well. But sometimes to make the big changes when it comes to making a change that is significant enough that will change your business model or your design, that you need to work with the partners to understand what the material can do, what the design can do, what the application can do. And this is, I think, uh, the key to make the effective and also groundbreaking innovation. And when we talk about a lot uh, and where we met, met with you, Victoria, talk about sustainability, we realize on topics like end-of-life solutions, it is not only about finding a solution after the lifetime of the product is over. It is more about how you design it so that you can recycle it properly, how you can make it with less energy so that it has lower CO2 footprint. So every partner in the value chain has a different value proposition. And I think that that's why the partners need to work together. And also there is the speed of innovation part, right? All together as separate value. When you, let's say I'm a material provider, right? I can develop a material that can do ABC, but maybe the, my customer is, or my partners will require only D and then what I provide may not be suitable. So innovation tie closely to the partners to deliver exactly what they need. And I see the success with the shortening of the innovation cycle, bringing new products for the applications and also satisfying the needs of the customers and bringing value to them. Yeah, that's interesting. And I do, I think you talk about the shortening of the innovation cycle. I saw a, a chart recently that kind of just showed these different waves of innovation and we're in something like the sixth wave of innovation over whatever, hundreds of years. And it is amazing, just kind of the the acceleration of it, right? When you look at it, just the acceleration of innovation. And frankly, I think a lot of this when we, in terms of where we sit today is driven by consumers, right? Consumers are wanting something new all the time and they don't understand why it can't be delivered. Correct. And I think the new generation will be even, I think, further alone than the current, I will say, customer base because they 
the new generation, most of them did not even know the times when there was no internet or smartphones or iPads. They grew up with everything, every information in front of their, under their fingertips, and they can access to things very fast. So their patience level, I think, for new products, new things are much less. And um, delivering to that that I would say expectation is even a bigger challenge for, for all of us, all the IT companies, not only for BS, but for everybody to be ready for them. Yeah. Get ready for them to receive it and also ready to bring them into the workforce, right? Because I know, you know, their requirements or desires are often different. Um, I mean, they grow up. I have a son who is going to turn 20. He's 19 years old. He's an also an engineering student. And I, I think we have to put it into context why they're different. They grow up differently than we are. And their value system is accordingly a little bit different. We were the mothers and fathers, our generation, I'm generation X. And we bring certain values, but then also the society they live in bring different values to them. For example, cyberbullying was never an issue in our generation, but they see the impact of it and they learn being mean to a human being is a no-no. And also the same thing for environment. And they also live in a generation of the terrorist attacks. Uh, so kind of in different, different countries. So security, self-security is a whole different thing. Even the communication, they have TikToks and then the Instagrams and Snapchats and everything in between. So maybe human contact is not necessary for them or essential for them to connect. So that's a whole different growing up, right? So their expectations and value system are naturally different. I have teenagers as well, and we have some interesting conversations and even about things like sustainability. And I wonder, I'm like, where are you getting your information? Uh, They don't know. It's TikTok or Snapchat. That's the honest answer. But they're really concerned. They're like, what are you doing for our planet? One of my daughters is really passionate about water. So not just plastics, but, you know, kind of what's the effect of water, et cetera. So I think, yeah, I think our next generation is going to keep pushing us to be faster at delivering solutions. I absolutely agree. But also, I think the, the we are talking about the generation, their value system being different. I think that the studies indicate that they are most willing to pay for sustainable products compared to the generations before them or the, or the, the much older generations, like the silent generation or baby boomers, when you compare the new generations. And I think the one other thing that is very different is the psychology of ownership is changing with the new generation rather than having more stuff or dissatisfaction what we have now in order to pursue us to we need better or newer or extra products in our lives. They are they have maybe more simple living and not owning but maybe renting that what is needed for luxury items. And that is a whole different lifestyle as well. I will say than the generation X for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting. So you mentioned the Sustainable by Design event that we met at, which was really amazing. So let's talk about the importance of sustainability to BASF. And what are you guys doing as it relates to that? I mean, every company has these big, ambitious goals and everybody's taking a slightly different approach to those big, ambitious goals. How are you and BASF approaching it? Well, I mean, like any other company out there who has um, think about their future BSF also have very ambitious goals. But I think the goals are one thing and then the actions are whole another and the rest. We are very vocal about 
what we are doing in every aspect of our targets, how we are going to come to a carbon neutral growth by 2050. And that involves our, let's say, using our green electricity, for example, in our sites. Also, we have a very recent announcement for North America region to accomplish that, but also innovating ways to electrifying our production, main production that we having lots of CO2 in our own production steps that we are working towards developing solution with partners again, who have maybe much knowledge on electrification of certain parts in the production processes to come up with solution. And we publish those very frequently to show the industry that we are not only talking, but we are really walking our talk. And, that, and we do a lot of investment as well, whether it's the R&D for our portfolio, whether it's the green electricity, especially in Europe, a lot of efforts and also on our innovation and with our partnerships. We, we really have concrete plans and measures in place. That's what's more important to me, as you say, that not only the ambitious targets, what we have to back that up. Yeah. And you kind of referenced this too earlier, just this whole idea of sustainable by design. I will say it was enlightening to me, some of the conversations that your customers had about how they're approaching it, right? And the, in the end of life, how end of life needs to be considered upfront in the design process, right? So the, the whole way through that value chain and just what it means, you know, in terms of automobile electrification and what it means to BASF and having to have different products or different innovations in your portfolio to be able to support that? Yeah, I mean, also not every sustainability concept is identical. Sometimes you can offer products that are sustainable. Sometimes you have to offer products that make the application sustainable. Like if you are making solar panels, that's the application by itself sustainable. And maybe the product that you put in the design of it may not be 100% green. However, the application requires that and it still helps with the, in the application as long as it is recyclable, right? Or the have longer life cycle. So the similar with the electrification of transportation industry, similar things. Not every single product may not be green. We do have a lot of products that are coming from recycled materials. However, still the making that transformation happen with the products that we have that will perform under those different requirements is still, I think, is the right way to move. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the whole life cycle analysis, right, of the value chain, of the product in use and the impact of that. And I think certainly, you know, McKinsey recently published a report about that as it related to plastics and particularly plastics packaging. And I've spoken with some other folks who uh, have really said you have to look at that whole life cycle aspect. You can't just take one piece in isolation. And it's an excellent report, the one that you're mentioning, that we have to be moving away from the emotion and look at the data scientifically. I think the most, I think, critical part of that report that you just mentioned is when you compare different applications, alternatives to plastics, you see that actually from the greenhouse gas emissions standpoint that you have favorite results for plastics, but plastics should be where they belong and they do not definitely belong in the oceans or in landfills. So I think that trying to solve the problem from the wrong angle is also 
not uh, correctly defining the problem correctly. And you talk about emotions and yet people also say decision are more emotion than fact many times, right? As much as we as engineers want to believe that it's all about the data, we know that it's a lot of things are driven by emotion. And I think that's one of the, personally, I think that's a challenge that the chemical industry has. Chemical and the plastics industry is figuring out how to connect to some of those emotions and bring it back, right? So, you know, there's all the images of whether it be a, a turtle with a straw or the plastics in the ocean that has drawn an emotional effect. And, and I think we can all agree, yeah, we shouldn't have plastics in the ocean. That doesn't mean plastics are bad. So we have to figure out how to change the conclusion of that, not just the impact, right? It's kind of that whole aspect. The positive impact of internet is we see these pictures and we admit there's a problem. The negative is we define sometimes the problem wrong and maybe sometimes politicize the entire topic, which needs to be handled scientifically. And that's where I think the things get a little bit more emotional than scientific. But in the end, that's the, I guess the, we have to live all that and the good of accessible information or providing voice to everyone, to their opinions. But every opinion doesn't mean that it's, it comes from education or it comes from understanding of different technologies. And we have to always listen, but take it with a grain of salt to educate ourselves, but not believe in everything that we hear from on the internet, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Ability for everything else as well. Yeah. Yeah. Be susceptible. There's a saying that I can't think of at the moment, but you know, it's like trust but verify, right? Trust, trust but, but verify. verify. And, True. And True. We should take that all into consideration a lot more. So, you know, you talk about your customers. And I think I've been talking with different people in the, across the industry about the customer experience, right? And I think often inside the chemical industry, it's undervalued, right? What the customer experience really means and is because we think of sometimes our bit more product-centric positioning versus really customer and experience and value driven. But it seems like, you know, you and BASF are trying to really change some of that dynamic in terms of being much more customer-centric and value driven. Is this new, what's the approach? What's the impact on BASF and how are you thinking about that customer experience and how you create value with that? I guess a lot of credit goes in this case to our CEO, uh, Martin Rudemiller, when he just started implementing a new strategy with actually quite a large team of people and our even logo, new logo for the strategic customers at the center of everything we do. And I think that, the simple strategy, simple messaging, but as you say, for chemical industry, it's the big shift uh, from product to more maybe to customer centric. I can give an example from my own organization in uh, performance materials. We have we don't run our businesses based on our product books. We run our businesses based on industries we serve, which is unusual for most of the chemical companies that you have, for example. Plastics division. We don't have plastic. And I do have four different industries that we serve to, whether we serve them with engineering plastic solution or urethane solutions, but we look at the industry holistically, for example, which, which help quite a bit because sometimes the solution can come from A or B product, but understanding the trends of the industry, the players, what matters to them is a whole different mindset. 
yeah, it starts with, with the new strategy. And most of, I believe that are even service groups, not only the, our operational divisions have the same mind, mindset to make the service, to connect with the customer better, make things easier for the customer. Yes, we have been putting a lot of effort since our last strategy in place to improve our experience. That's great. I think that's good. And that's, I mean, it's good for your customers and it's good for your employees at the end of the day, right? So it's especially... Yes, being... I do have lots of plans and I kind of start seeing the, the most amazing part when you go into a manufacturing site and the people working the line that know that product that they're making at that point goes to which application and which customer. And I see that connection, which is something really amazing, that they know the requirements of the customer, they're aware of the application, they understand the importance of that customer's ABC requirements, which is amazing. And this is what you want in an organization, that everybody is aware what we do for the customer and what is important for the customer. So maybe if we go back, let's say, 10 years ago, it wouldn't be the case. But now I will say with the new strategy, we're getting better and better and stronger on our focus on the customer. Yeah. And that is really impactful that you can connect it all the way back to manufacturing, that your manufacturing employees understand the importance of product X because it affects this customer and that customer's application and ultimately the individual company, whomever's consuming it. Yeah. All right. And for the employees, there's pride in it. There's pride that they have been making that product for ABC application for the customers when they go out for shopping, showing their kids hey, you know, I'm manufacturing this product for this customer. So there's also some pride in it, some connectedness to the customer, connectedness to the business. And it's a different satisfaction in the end for employees. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I personally, when I was in the industry or working inside of a company itself, when I worked for Shell and, and Clarion, I would often try to make that connection. Like, so we, you know, with Shell, in fact, they're starting up their polyethylene plant, which I was involved in that business at the very beginning, getting it restarted. They're like, well, we don't even know what this is. I'm like, do you have a shampoo bottle? Do you have a, this? That's what this is. And helping to create a tangible connection for your employees, for your team with products that they interact with on a daily basis is super helpful. I agree. It's different engagement. And also, I mean, you're right. We were all trying to do that in a very ad hoc basis, maybe with examples but now i'm hearing when i talk with the employees okay what are you producing now and they're saying a product for this customer you just do not exciting like right away which which is very exciting well and then yeah and then it really transforms it starts to really transform your business and what you do and how you value what's important i agree and that's when you understand your organization is really customer focused and i can tell you that i have been hearing for a while now that means that it is going into the deeper levels in the organization, in the grassroots, and it kind of clicks with people. That means that I think we are, we are in the right direction to be truly customer-centric. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really great. So, you know, another topic that has been a big concern all across the industry and frankly has become now a household word is supply chain, right? Everybody knows about the supply chain. So first we started with the pandemic and now we've got the inflationary effects and just the fact that, you know, with COVID is still occurring and we've obviously had recent shutdowns in China. The Russia-Ukraine conflict is having its own set of challenges on the global supply chain. 
what do you see? What effect um, is it having in your business? And I know you're North America centric, but but how has your supply chain been affected? And and what are you doing differently today to manage that than you might have done a couple of years ago? I'm shocked that you forget about the freeze. Oh, and the freeze, Lord! You know, there's so many things that have happened in the past yeah, two and a half years. Right. I have been in this business not three, three and a half years. I would say that I think that only six months, it was, I would say, pretty normal. And then after that, every year, another crisis. You're right. Well, and now we have the drought, frankly, which nobody's really talking about from an industry perspective per se, but we're certainly living with this drought at the moment. So it's it's amazing. Yeah. I think that we knew how to go through the unexpected in the chemical industry. We, we are not very naive when it comes to going through the obstacles, whether it's a supply chain, whether it is um, shortages, it's the chemical industry, there's always something unexpected. What is, I think, unique in this situation is that like the last three years, as you described, before one ends, the other one starts. And then it's trained the entire value chain. In the past, we would be prepared rather, like let's say before the hurricane, everybody will do their, okay, store here a little bit and then, you know, pass through the hurricane season. We as the chemical industry are prepared for these kind of things. What we were not maybe truly prepared is when you do not have any buffer in the chain that you hit another issue. And I think that what we learn is Maybe we rely on the supply chains working between the regions way too much, especially when it comes to commodities. We rely a little bit too much that every port is going to deliver on time. We rely too much that we have truck drivers everywhere. And we are learning from our a little bit mistakes and obviously taking actions towards not repeating them again. There will be always issues, the geopolitical issues that we will not be able to resolve. And that is only from the human aspect of it, in my opinion, is the saddest part of all that to watch happens in Ukraine. But when it comes to businesses, I think that the corrective actions will be taken, of course. But one thing is very clear, and I think that BSF made it obviously very, is very vocal about the topic that Chemistry goes everywhere. It goes to your medications, it goes to your household products, it goes to your clothing everywhere. And then once it's breaking, a lot of the other industries are also going to be impacted by that. So I think that sometimes people look at the oh, chemical industry, it's not important. But this is not only about chemical industry, it's about everything in our daily life that we use from your shampoo to soap to medications, everything, your dialysis machines to, yeah, everything pretty much. So that is, everything is about chemistry. So the impact is actually larger than people or also politicians understands and appreciates. And one thing may be that with um, communications that people and politicians understand the importance of the chemical industry in the total daily life perspective and what it means to shutting down the chemical industry for the daily lives. That is all the importance of it in our daily lives. Coming for the North America, I mean, the impact for the last um, Ukraine-Russia in North America region 
even if we do not impact it, some of our customers, because of how their value chains are set up, are impacted. And we are watching carefully. And I think that in also in our company, our board members are quite active to resolve the solutions with the, the government representatives. And I trust that a solution will come sooner than later, hopefully with no further damage to many lives. Yeah, it's been a very rough situation for everybody that's affected. There is not really any much right in that situation. And I hope a resolution will come quickly. I agree. I agree. Good. So Gulay, this has been really a good conversation. I have one more question for you. I was debating whether I was going to bring this one in, but let's talk leadership. So you progressed really quickly at BASF by, you know, from what I can see, and you lead as business has that has a really significant impact both to BASF, its employees, and its customers. Most critical to you when you think about your leadership style and your effect on your team, what's, what's critical for that? They say that the fish smells from the head, right? Is it, is it a saying? It's a saying, right? So I think a lot to do with the leadership. And that's a, that's a responsibility that I have to carry every day on my shoulders because whatever goes wrong in the business doesn't matter. It is with me. I take accountability for what happens in my business. But I have to admit, I have an extremely strong team of individuals and I practice but I learned democratic leadership throughout the years. I'm getting better and better every, with every team. Doesn't matter the title, doesn't matter what level at the people, as long as they sit in the leadership team, they have equal voice to bring their commentaries on any topic that we are discussing. We make decisions together. We vote in some cases when there are different ideas, but once we agree, we go for it. So and to create that environment, you need to have trust in the team, not only me and the, the people reporting to me, but also between the peer groups and creating that trustworthy environment where you can be yourself, you can raise your voice in any topic and you can be vocal is something that creates a little bit of a, I would say, pre-work to bring the team over uh, to that point. But we are there, we are performing, I will say that it's, it's a high-performing team. And all I have to do is when we have newcomers or people going or keeping that dynamic and the leadership in, in tight. The good thing is BSF also does what we call feedback and feed forward every year that the employees will, my direct reports, for example, will give a lot of commentaries, what I should be doing more or less, uh, stop doing, or how am I for our values that we define in BASF? And I get concrete feedback and we do have discussions and improve. There's always improvement for everybody. But having these conversations continues also makes me a better leader. And there's, I'm sure, just like sustainability also in leadership, there is so much to learn and so much to do better as well. Yeah, a continuous journey. I think that we will go through the same, same expectations that anything can happen tomorrow, that between the start of the, let's say, my journey with this job, and now everything that I thought would Never happened, happened so far, except the aliens maybe didn't come. Yeah, let's not let's not say that too soon. Yeah. My experience so far in the last three and a half years, maybe we should always be ready for unexpected. But from the 
rest of it, it goes like that. It is uh, going to be a tough second year because of the inflation and economical factors that you just mentioned. But we will stay strong with our partners and customers to deliver what they need from us and maybe more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Gulai, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. Thank you for having me, Victoria. All right. And thanks everyone for joining the Chemical Show. Keep liking, sharing, and following. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.